Well, we hope you've had a very, very Merry Christmas, but now it's time to get down to business. Sooners, Ducks, Alamo Bowl, Wednesday night. Um, this episode of the Sooner Nation podcast is devoted almost solely to that matchup, but there are a few other things that we got we to gotta jump in here and address. We will um, we'll talk the Big 12 rundown as, as bowl season officially gets underway for the conference this season, or this season, this week. Um, and then um, Woody Washington with the big announcement in Oklahoma's secondary. But Rich, first I have to ask you a really, really important question because we're recording this podcast the day after Christmas, December 26th. And uh, I hope you and your family had a, had a really wonderful uh, Christmas time together. But here's my question, and this is pretty important. What's the worst Christmas present you've ever gotten? Cool. Cole. Yeah. Now look, um, we, we, actually, know, we, we know your mom doesn't listen to the podcast. So, um, so that would, that would be acceptable. To, now I don't know if your wife does or not. So be careful there, but so um, no, I will tell you this. Um, I don't know if you knew this or not, but my wife, her, her father works at a, an, um, it's called PSO. Um, so they're the ones who do all the burning of fossil fuels to provide the surrounding areas with electricity. So there's a large supply of coal that he has access to. So needless to say, if you're coming over for your first Christmas, do not be surprised if you get coal in your stocking nice, nice. just to see your reaction. But man, if we're going to go down this trail, I'm going to be honest with you as a kid. Um, I can remember each and every year receiving something. Um, and it was the last thing. In fact, it didn't even make the list of things that I wanted, but I knew who it was coming from. And I knew how it was wrapped. And when I opened it, in fact, it was the only thing my mom would let me open up on Christmas Eve as a kid. And I hated it every year. It was socks, underwear, and a toothbrush. Yeah, too bad you didn't use the toothbrush. But I mean, um, <laughs> you know, I uh, did you ever have an aunt? I had an aunt. I had an aunt that um, that would just give the worst presents ever what one year one year she gave me a uh, like a then this was a great aunt so she was always older but one year she gave me a dirty <laughs> and this, this is like as a kid great okay, I'm, as in as in tears yeah in terms yeah yeah, of yeah, not, yeah she wasn't a like qualifier a qualifier for how a, good of an aunt she was yeah she wasn't a sibling of a, <laughs> of a parent she was a sibling of a grandparent so a great aunt um and one year like for example one year she gave me a dirty coffee mug no lie a dirty coffee mug nice. for Christmas, but by far the worst, the worst Christmas present ever received. I was 15 years old, Rich, 15. This is important to the story. I was 15. I was six months away from getting my driver's permit. No, excuse me. I was six months away from getting my driver's license because I was 15 and a half December. And she got me a pair of Superman pajamas, like the full on one piece Superman pajamas, oh, the, a onesie. Yes, exactly. Had the had the footies, it had the cape and everything. Dude, I'm 15 years old, and she won. I, I was like Ralphie. Have you ever seen the movie, the Christmas movie, Ralphie, where he gets the bunny <laughs> suit? Like I lived that moment. I lived it. She wanted me to go try it on so she could see it. I'm like, no, there's just no way, no way that's happening. Uh, I'm not, I'm not putting this on. Okay, enough, uh, enough going down memory lane. <laughs> Um, Woody Washington at the press conference for the Alamo Bowl, Oklahoma's press conference, uh, was this afternoon, December 26th. Woody Washington confirms definitely coming back next year. And I, I did see, 
I did see various reactions to this announcement uh, on social media. Like, you know, like he doesn't have a choice. So yeah, you know, he definitely has choices. In fact, he had three choices. He's a redshirt sophomore. So he's three years removed from high school, making him eligible for the NFL. In three seasons, he's produced 80 tackles, uh, four interceptions. So he, 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 this guy has an NFL future in front of him. Uh, but I think just with the, when you look at the, when you, when you look at the, the injury that he suffered this season that, that took away half of the season coming back is, is definitely the right choice. Coming back to college one more year, definitely the right choice. And, and when you look at, I mean, coaching changes and all that stuff, the dude could have easily hit the transfer portal and, and found a, found a home somewhere else. Like we saw, you know, Brendan Redley Hiles do this last year, but I, when you, when you look at, and I said this, we have a post up at Heartland sports. I said this, that you look at his performance in Bedlam with seven tackles, two interceptions. It shows, I think how special this guy can be when he's completely healthy. And then you look at the revival of Oklahoma's defense late in the season after Woody Washington came back after Delarian Turner Yelka comes back, you, you just see the potential that these guys have. And I think, you know, when you go into the Alamo bowl, this is definitely one of the, one of the arrows in the, in the, in the sheath, if you will, uh, for Oklahoma's defense. Quiver. Yeah. Quiver. Sorry. Sheath is for sword. Thanks. One of the arrows in the quiver for Oklahoma's defense, as they go up against a, a quarterback in Oregon who is prone to put the ball up there for grabs. So um, I, I'm, I'm excited. We've talked about at length in previous podcasts about the number of guys, particularly in this defensive secondary who have to make big decisions following this bowl game. But it looks like Woody Washington is one who's made his decision. And that's got to give you a, a little bit of, um, of enthusiasm and excitement as you look at this guy coming to an offseason now with Jerry Schmidt and the new defensive philosophy. Um, this, this is a big win for Oklahoma and Brent Venables. It's not just a big win for Oklahoma and the bowl game, Matt. You're talking into the future as mm -hmm. well because Woody Washington is a guy who could potentially stabilize this defense. You're looking at the cornerback position. You see a lot of unproven talent there. You mentioned the resurgence of this defense led by several names. One of those did include Woody Washington at that cornerback position. There's still a lot of talent on this roster. There's a lot of talent in that secondary, but again, it, it's players who haven't received a ton of playing time, who haven't proved their worth on this roster, despite maybe some good practices or things that, that happened behind the scenes. Woody Washington is definitely a player with a lot of promise. Um, I don't know that he's fully lived up to his potential as a college athlete. And so seeing him opt for an additional year in the Crimson and Cream coming back, you've talked about the defensive philosophy changing strength and conditioning coach coming back, I think it really sets him up for success because once again, you look at Woody Washington, you look at the talent that is there. There's something that needs to push him over the edge. And from an, an outside person like myself looking in, it seems to be the changes, the motivation, as well as the, I don't want to use the term excitement, but attitude from a guy like Brent Venables will be those contributing factors that gets Woody Washington to live up to the potential that he had coming out of high school before donning the crimson and cream. Absolutely. I, I, yes. And so we'll see what happens. I do think this could set him up 
you know, he'll be a redshirt junior in 2022. So that would set him up, I think, to have 2022 be a final season. But you never know. He, he could be a guy who's around for five years. And I, I don't think you'll find a lot of Oklahoma fans who will complain uh, about that. Oklahoma, Oregon coming up on the 29th. That is going to be Wednesday night, 8.15 kickoff central time. Uh, we're going to break that down. We've got uh, true or false coming up with Rich asking the questions again this week. And then uh, we're going to give you the Big 12 rundown as the bowl season gets underway for the Big 12 conference on Tuesday. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Rich, let's start out with the offensive side of the ball. Oklahoma against Oregon. The Sooners come into this game averaging 38.4 points per game. Now, they are going to face a pretty stiff Oregon defense. 25.5 points per game on average is what the Ducks had allowed. But much like Oklahoma, Oregon was hit by the transfer portal and by guys opting out for the NFL as well. So much so, they're down... They're down four key guys. Three are on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and, and when you look at it, it's you're, you're missing your All-American defensive end. Uh, he's, he's opting out, uh, the Thibodeau kid. And then your top two cornerbacks are opting out. Um, well, one's opting out uh, for, the, for the NFL. The other one is hitting the transfer portal. So that's, I mean, that, that's huge. That, that's huge. When, when you look at Thibodeau, uh, just as an example, the guy led the team in quarterback sacks with seven. He led the team in total tackles for loss at 15. And then his 50 tackles were fourth on the team. So you're losing a big disruptive uh, uh, guy in the, in the, in the backfield, which hopefully you hope that that gives them the quarterback, Caleb Williams, a little extra second or two losing a guy of that, of that caliber going up against two guys that are redshirt freshmen on the corners. This is a big advantage for Oklahoma's offense against the Oregon defense. Yeah. Um, Oklahoma's offense, Matt, I, 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 I largely believe this. I think they're in a better position than Oregon's offense. And I would say that about the football team as a whole, despite mm-hmm. the losses on the defensive side of the ball for both of these programs, when you're looking at what Oklahoma brings to the table and you're really looking at the blueprint that Oregon set, we, sorry, Utah set against Oregon. We have to remember Utah is a team that twice scored 38 points against right. Oregon while holding the ducks to under 10 points defensively. If you can replicate some of that success, I think you set yourself, you're setting yourselves up for a win. But for me, where it really starts for Oklahoma and the big difference maker here is that Oklahoma has a running back who has proven to be a consistent ball carrier and consistently produce positive yards in Kennedy Brooks, regardless of the offensive line that he's running behind. We have to remember Kennedy Brooks is, is run. We've mentioned it in the previous seasons that he's played. He's eclipsed the 1000 yard mark. And that was two different offensive lines. Now he's in his third 
<laughs> defensive line. Uh, I mean, offensive. offensive. Okay, line. good. Um, he's in his third rotation of offensive lines, and he's still having a similar level of success. I wanted to go back and look at what Oregon was doing um, against Utah and, and see where some of those mistakes may have come in and think that Oklahoma would pick up on some of those as well. But with this coaching change that has happened, I know there wasn't as much time to prepare. Needless to say, when I look at what you, uh, Utah did on the ground, uh, there had two guys over 60 yards, 38 yard rusher, 20 yard rusher, nine. If you want to total those up, be my guest at this point. Um, but I'll tell you, give me just a second, 170 yards on the ground, Matt, uh, Oregon in the three games to close out the season gave up 144 yards on the ground. And I think Kennedy Brooks really has the potential to, to hit that number by himself. We haven't even factored in Caleb Williams at this point and his ability to move his ability to scramble. If Kennedy Brooks hits a hundred I would even venture to say a hundred yards by himself. Oklahoma puts themselves in a very good position in this contest. Well, and I think what, uh, to, to add to that point, I think where an advantage for Oklahoma offensively comes into this game is what we talked about here just a few minutes ago about having, you got two backup cornerbacks on, on either side of the ball, which means your safeties are going to be preoccupied. To me, if I'm Kale Gundy, I'm doing a lot, a lot, a lot of play action passing here um, because that's those safeties are going to be they they the safeties have to commit. And we've we've talked about this so many times. The safeties have to commit, right? So you do a play action pass and it freezes those safeties because they're looking at the run, which gives you a step on the corners. Then at some point. The, the safeties are just going to sell out to help those corners if Oklahoma can get mismatches with Marvin Mims, if they can get a mismatch with, with you know, with, with Mario Williams, Drake Stoops, all, all these guys, all these receivers. Michael, I think Michael Woods is probably on, on track or are going to be set up to have his best game as a Sooner uh, in this matchup. Be, because ultimately, I think what's going to happen is those safeties are going to just get all kinds of confused or they're going to leave a pair of freshman cornerbacks on the islands. And I do think that's going to open up the door for Kennedy Brooks because the, with a confused secondary, you get into that second level of the defense. Then I think you're going to see a lot of extended runs that could have been maybe a seven to eight yard run goes 15 to 20 yards because of where the safety is out of position because he, got tired of, of the cornerback getting beat. He got tired of getting sucked in on the play action or you do RPOs and they just, I, I really think there's an opportunity here to, to create a lot of confusion within this Oregon secondary. And we'll talk about Oklahoma's defense here in a little bit, but you compare that where, where you're losing guys. And this is just solely my opinion. I think it's, I think it's more, um, I want uh, disastrous is the word that comes to mind, but detrimental. That's what I'm looking for. I think it's more detrimental to your defense to be in a position where you lose two corners than to be in a position where you're losing, you know, for your top four pass rushers or your top four uh, tacklers in the middle of your defense. And, and the reason why I say that rich is because you only need, you only need two seconds tops for a guy and who's who gets beat at a cornerback position, you need two seconds 
to take advantage of that. That's all unique. I mean, literally two seconds for the ball to be snapped, a receiver to take an inside step, get the corner on his outside hip, get the safety out of position, and you're on a seam, you're on a slant. You can take advantage of that on either side of the field potentially here if you're Oklahoma, whereas if you're trying to take advantage of of losing a pass rusher, well, I mean, there's nobody really in the league who's going to, on on average, consistently sack a quarterback in two seconds. And so I, I do think when you both both defenses are going to have their their share of moments where you've got inexperience on the field and and the other team is going to take advantage of inexperience that's going to happen on both sides of the ball with both offenses but i think it's more detrimental the position that oregon's in losing these two corners than what it is with oklahoma because oklahoma can still bring a jalen redmond you got an experienced pass rusher an experienced defensive tackle oklahoma can still bring an isaiah co up the middle to, to clog everything oklahoma can still bring a reggie grimes who's an experienced guy and not to say that these corners aren't experienced, but in this offense, the way this thing works, I think it's, again, I think it's a much, much better situation for Oklahoma's offense against the Oregon defense than it will be for the Oregon offense versus the Oklahoma defense. That's not to say Oregon won't have success, and we'll get into that here in the second half of the podcast. But to me, Rich, when when you look at keys to success in this game for and it's kind of crazy to say but when you look at keys to success in this game for kale gundy as the offensive coordinator i think it starts by fully opening up the running game be it kennedy brooks but also caleb williams one of the things that we really lost as fans watching in this game from the texas game on the, the running ability of Caleb Williams seemed to reduce, 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 reduce to where you had the loss at Baylor. You had the loss in Stillwater where it was like round peg, square hole. And you finally, that very last play of the game in Bedlam, you think, well, Caleb Williams gets loose and maybe there's a chance here. I think you're going to see more of that with Caleb Williams. I don't think that they care that Ralph Rucker is the backup quarterback because this is the last game of the season. I, I don't think that they care if, if he gets dinged up or banged up. I don't think Caleb Williams has cared all season long about that. So I do think you're going to see more of a Caleb Williams rollout bootleg type stuff where he can either pass it or keep running it. I think you're going to see more of a draw, not a delayed draw, but just a straight up draw. I think you might see some option uh, with Caleb Williams and Eric Gray, but fully opening up the running game uh, is going to be huge for Oklahoma to me when you talk about keys to success. The problem for me when it comes to Caleb Williams and lack of a rushing attack from the quarterback position wasn't in what they were doing in terms of designed plays for Caleb Williams. It was in Caleb Williams' decision-making. And I get it's easy to fail to remember that Caleb Williams is a true freshman. And what he was doing on a high school field is it probably translated to positive yards. Mm -hmm. However, at the collegiate level, when the level of competition, the level of athlete and athleticism takes a step up, those things no longer produce the same kind of outcome. For instance, how many times did we see Caleb Williams kind of dance around in the pocket instead of releasing and running up the field past the, the sticks towards that first down marker, there was ample opportunity for him to do that. And I think the biggest detriment 
in the latter half of the season from Caleb Williams was his willingness to throw into coverage versus running into an open field and gaining some type of yardage. Agree? No, I don't. Well, I, I agree, but I, I don't think that was all on Caleb Williams. I, I think that he was being coached to be patient, to wait in the pocket, to, to see what develops. And we talked about the difference between Rattler and, and Williams where Rattler looked front to back. He looked short to long. And I think Williams looks long to short and that takes longer uh, for that play to open up. What I'm saying is though, I think some of that was coaching where Kel Gundy needs to come in here and say, look, man, if it's not there, three, two, one done. I mean, you get, you, you tuck it and you go. Right. And, and we saw that. This is the reason why I think it was more coaching than it was Williams, because we saw that for an entire season under Jalen hurts. How many games did Jalen Hurts lead this team in rushing because of that same, that exact same philosophy? If it's not there, tuck and go. And that, that offense, Caleb Williams is, is built to run that type of offense. Yet we didn't see it. We didn't see it against Baylor. We didn't see it to the waning minutes of the Bedlam game. I'm telling you, you, you give Oregon four quarters of that type of offense with with freshman cornerbacks who are one of the cornerbacks, Rich, one of them has four games experience under his belt. You're telling me those guys aren't going to bite on play action. You're telling me those guys aren't going to bite on RPO. You're telling me that guy is if, if, if I'm if I'm Kale Gundy, I'm running the option at that kid almost every drive. I'm running. The, he's got four games of experience. I'm optioning towards him. Does he know what to do consistently on an option play when Braden Willis is coming as a lead blocker, when you got Eric Gray on the outside and you got Caleb Williams in the middle? Does he know what to do? <laughs> Excuse me. In that situation, I'm getting excited. Um, so I do think what you're saying is correct, but I don't think it's all on Caleb Williams. I, I think there was a lot of coaching involved in that to tell him to be patient and to wait for it to develop. And where I would make the tweak in this offseason, when you've got an interim offensive coordinator, you say, dude, look, if it's not there, tuck and go and, and don't wait too long. I mean, I, I really expect that to be the case. And I 100% if they were paying me $650,000 to coach this bowl game, which clearly they're not, that's, that's, what, that's the very first thing I would do in this offense. Yeah, and I'm right there with you. If it's not Kennedy Brooks running – the ball is going to be in the quarterback's hand and more often than not, the decision-making process, we'll see how that plays out. How has the coaching, how has the preparation gone in terms of preparing the week of for this game? And, and how will these players respond to that coaching? How, how will they respond to the responsibilities that are placed upon their shoulders, Matt, which really led me to number two, because we've been debating this in terms of keys to success or keys to the game offensively for Oklahoma, it was not forcing what isn't there. Um, and right. I alluded to that, throwing the ball downfield. There were a couple of times I know from the quarterback position where fans are yelling at Caleb Williams specifically to throw the ball out of bounds instead of trying to throw something on a tightrope towards the sideline that does get intercepted. And I want to hearken back to, I can't remember the year of this contest, but it was a Bedlam game. Oklahoma attempts to throw the ball out of bounds. It's way too close to the sideline. Oh, that's a Landry Jones year. You're talking about the, the yeah, that ball, yeah. that ball is grabbed and thrown back in 
to a teammate for Oklahoma State and is reported that was as an interception. 2011, yeah. The, the problem for me is when you don't throw the ball far enough out of bounds, yes, I know that you're trying to maintain certain rules of making sure you're outside of the tackle box, making sure you're outside of that pocket, making sure that you make it back to the line of scrimmage, making sure that there is an eligible receiver within the area, whether the ball is catchable or not. I'm saying that ball has to get out of bounds instead of forcing it into double or triple coverage. Take what this defense is going to give you move the ball, be productive. But if nothing is there, either get up field or throw that ball out of bounds and don't, don't put it on a tight rope towards the sideline where it very well can be intercepted as Oklahoma fans have seen. You know, I used to say uh, when I coached that uh, the quarterback, you know, if he was going to have to throw the ball away, that it lands in the stands. You're aiming at the first row of the stands. That's that's what you, when you're when you're throwing when you're out of the pocket and you're throwing the ball away, it goes into the stands. Um, because that what you're talking about that interception with Landry Jones back, and I'm pretty confident that was 2011. Uh, but anyway, the the point is my 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 second thing here is with the passing game as well, where I would look at you're you're replacing you know the. Oregon's lost Thibodeau, which is, uh, again, this is a huge loss for Oregon. Every, every, every bit as much as Oklahoma's loss of Isaiah Thomas and Perry on Winfrey, that loss hurts Oregon on an equal level. I would, whoever's coming in to replace him, I would totally run screenplays at him because they're, they're going to be anxious to come in and, and make a play. They're going to be anxious to contain and to, to get after, Caleb Williams. And so I'm screening towards that side on, on here. Here's what you've got. If you're, if, if you're the Oregon defense, you've got a defensive tackle. Who's a redshirt freshman. You've got a nose tackle. Who's a junior and you've got a defensive end. Who's a sophomore. I'm screening at him, rich. I'm just, I'm just going to take advantage of some screen. And then when they get tired of that, I'm going to run some draw plays at him. Just take advantage. I'm just saying, t- take advantage of their eagerness because I feel like they are going to be eager to get back there and prove themselves. I went in and I looked up the year for you, Matt, because you're off by one. Oh no! It happened in 2010. It still was Landry Jones, Broderick Brown, and Sean Lewis for Oklahoma State. Needless to say, <laughs> I-, I love that you're tapping into the inexperience that will exist on the defensive side of the ball and more specifically in that secondary. Um, we talked about Lincoln Riley and, and one of the best attributes that he brought to the table was identifying weak points, whether you thought you had them or whether you thought you didn't Lincoln Riley was a master of identifying these weak spots in your defense and attacking them consistently. Right. Oklahoma in this game, even though Lincoln Riley is not the head coach anymore, Bob Stoops stepping in as that interim for a single game before Brent Venables, quote unquote, officially takes over there. There's this glaring weak point staring you in the face and not to utilize that I think would, would be very telling of a guy like Kel Gundy and his potential to be an offensive coordinator, whether that's at Oklahoma in the future or anywhere in the country, yeah. the game planning and, and the behind the scenes work that takes place to not identify that as you as a fan have been able to do, like I said, would be very telling of some of the shortcomings that exist in this offensive game plan. And more specifically 
be very telling of those individuals that were in control of it. Number three for Matt, for me, Matt, is going to be to remain efficient in the red zone. Oklahoma has been extremely efficient in the red zone this year. They've converted on 96.43% of their attempts, meaning that they scored it. I'm not detailing out whether it was a touchdown or whether that was a field goal. Just know that points were put on the board in 963 of their attempts. Oregon is not a good red zone defense. In fact, they were giving up over 85% scores when opponents reached the red zone. Once again, that seems like a recipe for disaster or success, depending on which side of the ball you're sitting on. And Oklahoma, once again, has the personnel to punch the ball. And you've talked about, I've talked about Kennedy Brooks. We've talked about the tight ends or H backs um, that exist on this roster and our immediate mismatches for whether it's a linebacker or a cornerback or even a safety at that mm. point in time, utilize those talents on the field and maintain this high level of scoring, this high level of efficiency in the red zone. And what we know, Matt is um, it better be a touchdown at this point in time, because the way that the season continue to play out. Gabe Burkich was money from about 50 yards, but put him in 25, 30 yard range. And I wasn't so sure anymore. Yeah. You know, Gabe definitely uh, kind of struggled there, particularly in the Baylor game. Uh, I think he missed one in the Iowa state game as well. Um, and I, and I agree with you. I, I think, I just think points are, are this, this is going to be a game. I think it's going to be fairly high scoring in, in my opinion. Uh, of course we'll do our score predictions here at the, the very end of the tail end of the podcast. But I do agree with you. If you get in the red zone, it, it's got to, it's got to put points on the board um, and touchdowns are always better than field goals. You know, my, my third thing here is, is to, uh, to play loose. I mean, there's th this game, uh, there's no pressure in this game because there's nothing after it. When, when you looked at the, um, when you looked at the Bedlam game, you looked at the Baylor game uh, there, there was, Big 12 championship was on the line that your run of dominance was on the line, particularly in the Bedlam game. We saw this team just kind of put the, build the pressure, build the pressure, build the pressure until it kind of blew in late in third quarter and in the fourth quarter of the Bedlam game with so many mistakes that they made. And of course the offense didn't score at all in the second half. And some people want to put that on Lincoln Riley. I'm, I'm okay with that, but I do think there was clearly some mistakes that this offense made that, Lincoln Riley had no no part in that said play loose because I mean, there, there's no game after this enjoy the season enjoy the moment I, I'm not saying go out there and just kind of shoot from the hip so to speak um, where you, you turn the ball over and, and you put it because Oregon's offense is, is I, I think they're still pretty dangerous uh, offensively but um, I, I feel like there's nothing to lose here for Oklahoma um, there's, there's nothing to be to, for the pressure to mount up against. There's nothing that they're playing for after this game. There literally is no tomorrow win or lose for this team. So go out, be loose and have fun. That's, that's my, that's my third and, and final, um, you know, key to success for this offense. When you, when you look at particular, uh, you know, personnel, uh, guys that are going to be on the field, I, I don't know, Rich, if you want to, add Caleb Williams, add the quarterback back in there. Because one of the things that we've talked about, uh, one of the things that we've had go our way this season, when we, when we talk about the key players to watch in this game, we've had the quarterback off limits because um, he's the guy, obviously, who's going to have the offense run through his hands. And I think that's very much the case with this game. I, I think if Caleb Williams comes out and has a dominating game, 
then Oklahoma is going to be in really, really good position to win. I think if Caleb Williams comes out and he struggles and he turns the ball over and he doesn't make the reads, he holds it too long in the pocket. I, I think it's going to be, it's, it's going to be really, really uh, a, a game that, that Oklahoma fans are walking away going, well, nothing's really changed since Bedlam. So that said, Caleb Williams, hundred percent is a key figure here. So give me a player offensively that is a key to Oklahoma success that's not named Caleb Williams because I think we're all on the same page there as far as the quarterback goes. Yeah, um, there there are some very easy names for me to throw out there. Quarterback Caleb Williams being number one, number two being Kennedy Brooks. But I'm going to go with my third option on this one and say that it's Marvin Mims. When you look at what's transpired in this mm-hmm. receiving unit, it's still a, a stable of talent that can absorb some losses. However, this late in the season, when you're losing your leading receiver in, in Jaden Hazelwood, right. someone needs to pick up the slack. Someone needs to pick up that attention. Obviously, you don't have Austin Stogner there in the middle, creating a little bit of chaos underneath for a guy like Marvin Mims to get loose. But I think when you're looking for someone who can stretch the field vertically, when you're looking for someone who can do the dirty work underneath as well and break off these, these big receiving plays, even after the catch, it has to be Marvin Mims. I think he goes back to being target number one in this offense. I think he goes back to producing at a high level while this Oregon defense tries to figure out who's really going to assume that role. We mentioned the possibility of Theo Weiss playing in this game, as well as the impact that he might have, but no receiver sticks out more to me specifically than, than Marvin Mims does in this one. For sure. I, I, I do think, particularly with what we said about, um, about these corners, I do think it, it opens the door for Marvin Mims it opens the door. I, I really hope Theo Weiss plays in this game. I, I think he need. I think I think he needs to play in this game, even more than we as fans need to see him play in this game. And so, um, I do agree with you, Rich. A hundred percent, I agree with you. But my guy is going to be Kennedy Brooks, and and the reason why is because we we've alluded to, and we'll get to in more detail here in just a little bit about how potent this Oregon offense can be and I think limiting them is going to be crucial and and you limit them by Kennedy Brooks and, and you talked about the yards that they gave up in in the um in the Utah games and and Utah did that I watched both of those games Utah did that by dominating the line of scrimmage and I think Oklahoma has on the offensive side of the ball has the potential to do that Oregon gave up 100 on average for the season they gave up 129.5 yards per game on the ground, 241.2 in the air for a total of 370.7. But that was with all these other guys that are going to be missing. And, and so I really feel like when you – I keep – I know I'm, I'm repeating myself, but when, when you look at how spread out this defense is going to be to try to provide coverage support for these corners – who are going to be left on islands, Oregon's going to have to pick its poison. Do you potentially get burned over and over again with Oklahoma's receiving core, or do you potentially allow Oklahoma's running backs to get into that secondary and gain plus yardage beyond what they normally would have with with your safeties obligated and cover two, that kind of stuff? I think initially 
Oregon's going to play to stop the run. And I, and I think that what you're saying, using Marvin Mims, using Drake Stoops, using those receivers to soften that up is really going to open the door for a guy like Kennedy Brooks. And, and I'm expecting a hundred plus yard night from Kennedy Brooks. And, and I, I think that's going to build well for the Sooners on, on the scoreboard. Um, so there you go. I've got Kennedy Brooks as my guy to watch. Um, bold predictions when it comes to this Oklahoma offense versus the Oregon defense. Um, I'll give you mine first and then I'll take yours, Rich. But my bold prediction is this. I think Caleb Williams has a 300 plus yard night. I think Caleb Williams is going to throw for 200 and then run for a hundred. Um, so 300 plus yard with his arms and his leg. Uh, that's my bold prediction here. I was going to look at the point total in this one. And I know that one of the things that Oklahoma failed to do consistently through the latter half of October and into November was score more than 35 points. In fact, you have to go back to October 23rd to find a game where Oklahoma scored more than that's a total lie. October 30th to find a game where Oklahoma scored more than 35 points. And that was against Texas tech. So for the month of November, Oklahoma did not score more than 35 points. We're used to seeing an explosive offense and Oklahoma still ranks inside the top 10 in terms of offensive output, offensive scoring that is. And so I'm going to predict, even though they didn't do this throughout the month of November, Oklahoma here in December will have a 35 plus point game. All right. There you have it. I, I, um, well, I'll just, I'll, I'll save my comment for, um, for the, um, for the score predictions that are, that are coming up here in just a little bit. Speaking of score positions, predictions, uh, we've got true or false with Rich asking the questions, and then we've got the Oklahoma's defense versus Oregon offense preview. That's coming up on the Sooner Nation podcast. It's true or false time. You guys know the drill by now. You can always participate in this segment of the podcast by hitting us up on Twitter, at Sports Heartland on Twitter. You can give us your true or false questions if you'd like to. We'll save them. We'll use them for a future podcast. We also have a, a true or false. Uh, we have a podcast page uh, at Heartland Sports, heartland-sports.com. And you can jump on there and drop a comment for us. And we'll try to get to those and use them on a future podcast as well. But Rich, you're in the driver's seat here. You've got the true or false statements. I'm going to answer them. And so let's jump in here and do this. Yeah, Matt, I don't think that these ones are as easy as they Uh-oh. were the the last time that we recorded um it's it's very subjective instead of objective so your opinion is really what counts in these ones and i'm going to kick us off with question number one by saying this (laughs) the season for oklahoma at 10 and 2 may have been a bit of a letdown Uh, may have even been labeled as a disappointment no appearance in the big 12 championship game no appearance in the college football playoff however the Alamo Bowl is a chance at redemption. No, no, that's definitely false. Um, when your expectations are Big 12 championship and your expectations are college football playoff, and remember, it wasn't, just, it wasn't just college football playoff. It was actually winning a semifinal and advancing in the college football playoff. That was, this was the year Oklahoma was supposed to make a championship game. Winning the Alamo Bowl – a ball that they've never been to before this there's, there's no consolation here. There, there's no, the, the redemption here, here's the redemption for this season. 
the redemption for this season is Brent Venables. That he's already here. That he's already building a staff. That he's already building momentum with this team. There's your redemption. Winning or losing this game is inconsequential um, for the for the remainder of the. Um, like I said, there's no tomorrow. If you win, there's no tomorrow. If you lose, there's no tomorrow. So no, the Alamo Bowl is not a not a consolation. The Alamo Bowl is not a a redemption. What an Alamo Alamo Bowl win would do is at least let you go into the off season feeling okay. You're not going to feel great. Because again, the season was a disappointment. And that's the problem with expectations being as high as they are at the University of Oklahoma. Think about what we're saying here for just a second. We're saying if Oklahoma goes and wins the Alamo Bowl, that's a disappointment because the expectation was up so high. At the University of Texas, there is no bowl game. There's just disappointment. <laughs> so I'm just saying... That's that's where Oklahoma fans live year in and year out. The expectations are always going to be high. The bar is always going to be high. And I think it speaks volumes to the fact that Oklahoma's never been to the Alamo Bowl. I mean, we are we have been as a fan base, we have been treated to football royalty. If you go back and you look at, I believe this will be the 23rd consecutive year. Oklahoma's been in a bowl game 23 consecutive years. Think about how many years have we seen during this run? How many times have we seen Texas not qualify for a bowl game? How many times have we seen Oklahoma state not qualify for a bowl game? How many times have we seen other big 12 schools not qualify for a bowl game? I think we have it really, really good as Oklahoma fans. And I think our expectations are justified for being at an elite level. But the reality is there is no consolation this year. You, the, the consolation would have been, well, you lost the semifinal again, but at least you won the Big 12 championship. Winning the Alamo Bowl is not going to be a consolation. Hey, with, with your response, are you worried about motivation to play in this game? I know that was a factor that some people talked about for Florida in right. last year's game against Oklahoma. No, I, I actually, I think, um, here's the truth. I think this team mentally is in a better spot than they were going into Bedlam. I, I think that the, um, the desire to play and the desire to play at a high level, I think the desire to go out and compete and to quote, prove yourself. I, I, I think Oklahoma mentally is in a very, very good spot. When you, when you look at what players are saying at these, at the, the press conferences, when you look at the, the kind of creative juices they have, um, going into practices and coming out of practices when you're able to see those films. Um, I don't think if there's a letdown in this game, it's going to be because there was such a narrow window for these coaches that came in, you know, Brian Odom's coming back from California to be the defensive play caller. Uh, Kel Gundy's just taking over the reins after Christmas break. He gets to work with Caleb Williams on putting together an offensive game plan. There's going to be, if, if there's going to be a letdown, it's going to be a, a, like a disconnect and on that front. But as far as a mental, a mental preparedness and an eagerness, I'm not worried at all uh, about this team based on what I've heard and seen from them going in. Number two, then talk, this kind of ties into motivation. So I guess that was a really good impromptu segue. When we look at Oklahoma and we look at Oregon, I find that these are two programs that 
have mirrored each other in terms of situations. They've both lost their head coaches in this transition right. into bowl season from the regular season. They've both lost two games in the month of November. They both have had opt-outs and mm -hmm. key, key opt-outs ahead of this bowl game. Therefore, true or false, it's a wash and neither team can use any of these as excuses as to why they lost. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I said that on one of the uh, one of the posts we have up at Heartland Sports about the Oregon opt outs that uh, when you when you look at the head coaching situation, or so I guess you could say interim coaching situations, when you look at um, coordinators kind of fluxing in and out, when you look at uh, guys got, gone on the offensive side of the ball, guys gone on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I think it, that those things wash out to where I don't believe that either team can really use that as an excuse for for losing i mean like let's say oklahoma let, let's just say oklahoma loses this game an oklahoma fan can't say well you know what we didn't have nick benito if we had nick benito or if we had perry and winfrey or if we had isaiah thomas it would have been a different story oregon's gonna fire right back well we were missing thibodeau we were missing this guy we were missing that guy and so i just i think all that becomes to a point where it won't be an excuse for losing this, this game is going to be this game is going to be decided by fundamentals who is the best tackling team which team gets their, their players in position on on any given play um coaching calls uh and fundamental i mean again you go back to fundamentals i mean that and turnover that that's what this that's what's going to decide this game those things are going to be more contributing to the outcome than any player who's in street clothes on the sideline are not even in San Antonio altogether. Uh, moving from, from this question, because I totally agree with you and have nothing to, to add to it. Moving from that one, I really wanted to focus in on an individual player and we see how games specifically in the bowl season can set, set a singular player up for success accolades in the preseason as well as throughout the duration of the season and and potentially in the postseason so in this game specifically Matt I know there's one name that everybody wants to focus on and there's a lot of uncertainty so I'm going to remove the uncertainty surrounding Caleb Williams and let's say that he does come back to the University of Oklahoma he is the starting quarterback and there are some signs that are pointing to that so this isn't something that's completely off base to remove that from the equation but let's say Caleb Williams it, next fall steps out as the starting quarterback. This is a game true or false against Oregon that can set him up for a Heisman run. Oh, uh, I mean, let, can I answer that question with a question? Sure. Is there anything that Caleb Williams is going to do in this game? That's bigger than his 66 yard touchdown run against Texas. Yeah. 67 yard touchdown run might help. Well, I'm just saying that the, 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 that moment, that moment sets him up, in my opinion, more than anything that could potentially happen in San Antonio. I mean, yeah, I, I think Caleb Williams can go out and throw for 200 yards plus, run for 100 yards plus, have a really clean game, and have people talking about him uh, going into the offseason. I think, I mean, I'm, I'm confident enough to say that Caleb Williams will be back with his team. He's coming back. He'll be the starting quarterback in September uh, when the Sooners roll out the 2022 version of its football program. And, and I think this is where the value of Jeff Levy really comes into play. Be, because 
you you ha- whoever Lincoln Riley's quarterback was was going to be a Heisman candidate. And Jeff Lebby kind of has developed that same type of rapport. You go back to Central Florida, you go back to Ole Miss, and now you go to Oklahoma. So if it's, you know, Dylan Gabriel at Central Florida, Matt Corral at Ole Miss, if it's not Caleb Williams, they're going to grab someone out of the portal. I think the fact that the guys are already coming out of the portal and going to going to Oregon, they're they're going to to UCLA. You're seeing these these high profile transfer guys already going somewhere else. To me, that is a more of an indicator that Caleb Williams will be back at Oklahoma, even though there's not there's not been an official announcement. I'm gonna I'm not gonna say there's been an, there hasn't been an official decision. There just hasn't been an official announcement. But that said. I think Caleb's Caleb there's there's not really been a quarterback in a long long time who arrived with such a huge bang than what Caleb Williams did and it goes all the way back to that Texas game and I promise you Rich I I I mean mark this down regardless of what happens at the Alamo Bowl in San Antonio when you go into next season whether Caleb Williams is wearing the crimson and cream or whether he's got someone else's jersey on when they do the previews for that season and they're talking about the quarterback and Caleb Williams. That run against Texas is going to be a, a, the highlight that they show. I promise you. So to me, that was the Heisman moment, or that's the moment that sets him up for 2022. I do agree with you on your statement about whoever played quarterback for Lincoln Riley would be considered in that conversation. It'll be interesting to see if that trend continues at USC as well as for quarterbacks at Oklahoma, because now we talked about this um, last week at the latter half of last week is that if we thought the offense was going anywhere, if we thought these Mm -hmm. high powered offenses were going anywhere, we have to remember that they were here before Lincoln Riley ever showed up. Right. And they'll be here long after it's the way that the game is being played. And you're seeing the level of talent from younger talent consistently and continuously take a step forward, which is producing these elite level quarterbacks who mm-hmm. want to play in the mold of a Patrick Mahomes. Now, not everybody can do that. I'm very well versed in that ideology. Not everyone can do what Patrick Mahomes wants or can do, but everybody wants to try. It's those that are successful and doing these off balance, off kilter, unique throws that are obviously going to draw a majority of the attention and there I read an article and I'm just going to say it like this. Um, I read an article and I don't think that's the key to success being able to make all those different types of throws and doing this foot pop and all these things that are now popularized because of the NFL and because of quarterbacks like Mahomes and Zach Wilson, where a majority of the big plays come from are plays that develop while the quarterbacks in the pocket. Mm. And if you can't throw from the pocket, your likelihood of being successful in these other areas as the level of competition goes up is it gets slimmer and slimmer. And I'm going to leave it at that because I think Caleb Williams has all of those tools and can make all of the throws. Does he have the strongest arm? Maybe not, but is he one of the most athletic players in the country that plays the quarterback position? Absolutely. And that's, that's very much so unquestioned. So number four for me, Matt, 
looking at uh, the defensive side of the ball, which I know we'll get to here in a second, looking at the defensive side of the ball, there is going to be a lot of change within this front seven, whether that's players moving positions or players stepping up into a starting role that they hadn't held previously. Most notably, that's going to happen for this defensive line. And so true or false, when we look at the defensive line, it's the biggest weakness in the bowl game for Oklahoma. Wow, that's a good question. Uh, that that's a really good one. Uh, but I, I, uh, you talking about? Let me. Can I clarify? Are you talking about the biggest weakness along the defense, or the, no? The in, total. Weakness in total. In total. Oh, uh, man. Um, let me think here. So you're you're losing, you're losing Nick Benito. So that means Marcus Stripling is going to move over to the rush linebacker spot and and be the start there. Deshaun White's going to move to the uh, weak side. David Aguebu in the middle. Um, nose guard, you're going to have Isaiah Coe. You're going to have Reggie Grimes at defensive end and then Jalen Redman at defensive tackle. Um, dang, Rich, if, that, if that's a weakness, that, that's a pretty good weakness to have. Um, I'm going to say true with, with the caveat that the wide receiver core may, may rival them. And losing Jaden Hazelwood, and and you've got to, you've got to like. Balance I'm surprised it. you haven't mentioned coaching. Well, I'm I'm thinking of player personnel, <laughs> but uh, so if you're going to throw coaching in, I mean, again, you've got Bob Stoops, you've got a legend, you've got a Hall of Famer on on the sidelines that he's got a skeleton crew underneath him. But um, I mean, I'm just talking about player personnel on on the field. Um, you, you lose your top receiver. And, you know, Jaden Hazelwood, who led the team in, in receptions. I don't think he led the team in yards. You lose your, your top sack guy. You lose your top tackler. And I think you lose number two and number three on your sack, your sack leaders. That, you know, that, that's a pretty good wash. I, I'm going to say this. I, I'm going to reword your question and say it is true that Oklahoma's defensive line lost the most it's going to be the most inexperienced when it comes into this bowl game but even at that rich i mean marcus stripling he's a junior deshaun white is a senior david aguebu is a junior jalen redmond sophomore isaiah co junior reggie grimes sophomore i mean th these aren't like freshmen they're throwing out there so the good news is, are they the normal guys? Are they the normal four? I mean, the, the four guys in the front seven? No, they're not. But are they totally inexperienced in that front seven? No, no, they're not. So I, I think um, I think the answer to your question, I'm, I'm doing a lot of talking around in a circle here. I think the answer to your question is true, but it's not that big of a deal. How's that? Yeah, that one works. For me, I, I really thought you'd go the coaching route. Well, I honestly, I didn't, even, I didn't even think about that. I mean, when you when you threw the question out there, I'm thinking through position groups and not coaching. Clearly, that's again, you how much how much does having a Hall of Famer and Bob Stoops make up for not having Brian Oda? I mean, here's really what I want to know. Uh, no one's ever going to give me the answer to this question. I know Brian Odom is the is the defensive play caller here, but who put the defensive game plan together? Was it Brian Odom or was it Bob Stoops? You know what I'm saying? How, how right. much how much does does Bob Stoops make up for not having Brian Odom with his team until two days ago? And 
and, and so forth. Um, and, and the elevating guys that are grad assistants into position coaches, how much does Bob Stoops make up for that? I think quite a bit. So even at that, I, I don't know that it's a, it's really a, I, I think coaching wise, even with all that Oklahoma has gone through, I'm still giving the advantage to, to Oklahoma on the sidelines. Right. We talked about that previously yeah. and I was, was in agreement there. Yep. Um, Cause there is turmoil. There is change. There is shift. There's adaptation to a new coach and a coaching style and learning how to respond. And for you as a player, those interactions have mm-hmm. completely changed from obviously Lincoln Riley to Caleb Williams. Lincoln Riley's not there anymore. Right. He can't curb Caleb Williams, talk to him, get his head back on straight. So who who is Caleb Williams going to turn to? There's a trust factor there as well. There There is a lot at play, but I do agree. Oklahoma, in terms of coaching, I think is in a better position than Oregon is heading into the Alamo Bowl. Right. I concur 100%. Question or statement number five does center around coaching. Um, this one's more in the realm of prediction, so I'm not asking for a score here, but it is going to allude to who you think is going to win this game. Currently, Matt Bob Stoops sits at nine and nine in bowl games for his career. Nine and nine—that's a perfect 500 number. However, in this in this bowl game, he will break that tie, obviously. Right. But true or false, he'll add one to the win column pushing him over the 500 mark. So, yeah, so you're, you're pushing my prediction here early. I'm, I, I do think Oklahoma wins this game. Um, I, I, like I said, I, I think there's – I think Oklahoma is in a better place. Uh, I said this earlier. They're in a better place than they were in um, going into the Bedlam game in Stillwater. I think this team is hungry. I, I think this team is excited and enthusiastic. I think they're focused, and I think they're well coached. I, I think definitely – anytime you can – we've talked about this, Rich. Anytime you can go into your bullpen and – and get a hall of famer to come out and coach the bowl game, you know, that that's, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good fallback uh, to go to, um, you know, Bob Stoops has been to San Antonio. They won, they won the big 12 championship in 2007 uh, beating Missouri, by the way, Missouri was number one in the nation when Oklahoma last played an opponent in the Alamo dome, Alamo dome, Alamo is the, I think it's the Alamo dome. Um, anyway, um, yes, the answer to this question is true. I am predicting Oklahoma to win this game. All I got for you. Okay, so I'm not gonna... giving my score prediction early. Sorry, I had to make you. Yeah, that's okay. Well, we'll, we'll get to that because we're going to run down all the Big 12 bowl games here uh, in just a minute. On the other side of this, we're going to give you Oklahoma's defensive uh, breakdown against the Oregon offense, and then we'll we'll conclude with those score predictions. Make sure to catch us on Twitter at Sports Heartland. Oklahoma's facing an Oregon offense that averaged 31.4 points per game, 418 total yards of offense. They're pretty balanced, Rich. The 214.8 uh, in the air, 203.2 on the ground. That does scare me when you talk about new faces along the defensive front seven. Uh, Oregon, um, Oregon's bringing uh, an offensive attack here that is balanced, and I think it's even more crucial than it ever has been before for Oklahoma to focus on the running game um, because you've got, you've got a quarterback uh, for Oregon who is a, a dual threat guy that can a, much like Caleb Williams. I, I, I gotta be careful how I say this. I, I, here's my Anthony Brown. Here's my 
here's my description of this kid. He is a more experienced version of Caleb Williams. I, I don't, I don't want to say go as far as to say he's better than Caleb Williams, but he's more experienced. 6'3, 226. He's got good size. He is a transfer who came in to Oregon uh, and, and to uh, 2020, uh, second year um, with the Ducks, 63.7 completion percentage, 15 passing touchdowns to six rushing touchdowns. But he's second on the team in rushing yards as well, averaging four and a half yards per rush. And he's got nine rushing touchdowns on the season. Containment is going to be huge in this game. And you're bringing in a backup defensive end. Um, not allowing this guy to get out of the pocket and burn you, uh, bringing pressure up the middle is going to be huge in this game. And you're bringing a, a backup nose guard. Um, and so I think that slides over to a guy like Jalen Redmond to come in and really be the guy who puts the pressure on the quarterback um, and, and let Isaiah Kojis eat up the middle of, of the, of the offensive line. Travis dies. No joke at a running back. 1,118 yards on the season, 5.8 yards per carry 15 touchdowns. This Oregon offense works when they can run first. And it, it goes back to Utah, Rich. We talked about how Utah beat Oregon up front. Oklahoma is going to have to do that with a second team unit of guys on that defensive front seven. And if you're asking me, what is my biggest concern? Well, here it is. I guess this is going back to the true or false. Can Oklahoma match this, uh, this, this offensive front for Oregon? And can they stop the running game? Because if they can't shut down Oregon's running game, this is going to be a tough out for Oklahoma. I am going to mirror your statements the way that I have it labeled is bend, don't break. Why? Because I think these are offenses that are capable of scoring points. When you look at the opt-outs, I think it, it impresses that point upon me more that there will be numerous times where Oregon finds the end zone and Oklahoma is going to do the same. So you have to expect positive yardage plays to happen. Mm -hmm. You can't bottle up Oregon from start to finish of this game. And this is an Oregon team that could very well be the healthiest that they've been at right. any point this season, minus traveling to Columbus, Ohio at the beginning of the season and claiming that win over Ohio state, Oregon, you've mentioned it. The focus will be on the, the rushing attack and defensively Oklahoma has to find a way to limit what Oregon will do. And you, I, I don't know that I want to reiterate this. So what I was attempting to say was, you, I think you hit the nail on the head by saying that you have to be aware of the quarterback's mobility and you have to be aware of the running back. It's a dangerous duo that can hurt you at any point in the season. And now in this game, regardless of what quarter it is. So limiting the rushing attack will be key and forcing Brown to throw the ball more often than not is what may very well lead to success, which leads me to the second point for me, which I believe this defense, Matt, needs to simplify things. And mm -hmm. I, need to, they, I, I, I believe they need to get back to the basics. What, what do I mean by that? Key is tackling. Right. You have to, at the initial point of contact, bring the ball carrier down. Yards after contact, I think, will be huge in this game and could ultimately decide the fate of Oklahoma. And that mm -hmm. goes for Kennedy Brooks in the offense, Caleb Williams in the offense as well. Yards after contact should have a huge impact on this game. So get back to the basics. 
wrap up in tackling, simplify the game plan. Don't throw too, don't throw in too many stunts. Don't ask too much of this defensive line. Ask them to line up and be better than the player that's in front of them more often than not. Yeah, that, that's a good point. My, my number two is, is uh, it kind of goes in line with my first one, and that is keep Oregon behind the chains. Keep, keep them in, in, in passing situations. And the reason I say that is twofold. No, number one, we, we already talked about, uh, or at least I already mentioned how Anthony Brown has a propensity to turn the ball over. He threw six interceptions on the season to, to 15 touchdowns. But Oregon also lost their top receiver. We talk about the loss of Jaden Hazelwood. Um, their Oregon's leading receiver now is Travis Dye, the running back, because Devin Williams is gone. 35 receptions on the season, 557 yards. He, he led the team in touchdown receptions with four, and he's, he's out preparing for the NFL. And what that does is it, it means Oregon is down to just six scholarship receivers for this bowl game, and only four of them have made contributions this season on the field. And so – you do have inexperience there and you've got a very complete and a very full and a very hungry defensive secondary for the Sooners. Um, so you got, you've got to keep them behind the change. You've got to push, you got to win first down. You got to, you know, limit them on second down and push them into that third and six and beyond range where you can kind of, let Reggie Grimes pin his ears back and come. Let Jalen Redman uh, come in there and, and flush him uh, right up the middle because you're going to have – you're, you're, you've got a big, big loss um, at receiver position. Um, and so, so there it is. I, I went, went second down. I went first down and keep him behind the chains. And then number three, um, the guy that you really got to focus on, I, I believe – uh, in this game is is Travis Dye. So my, my third thing is this: don't lose Travis Dye. Don't know where this guy is. I, I think he's going to draw safety coverage um, when he comes out of the backfield, but just don't lose him. Um, again, we talked about 1,118 rushing yards. He's got 41 receptions on the season. He's averaging 9.1 yards per reception. He's got two receiving touchdowns. This is the kid that you got to know where he is on the field at all times. And so you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta keep up with him. So, so don't lose him. That that's my third and final one. Third for me comes down to turnovers. And right. I know that's that this point. point can go without saying turnovers are a must for Oklahoma. When we look at teams and the national rankings, Oklahoma's number seven at plus 11 on the turnover margin, but Oregon's right behind them right. at plus 10. These are two teams that know how to take advantage of a situation when it arises and force that turnover. Obviously, again, goes without, with, I, I don't feel like I really need to say it, but here we are saying it anyway, is that whoever wins this turnover battle may not necessarily have an advantage in this game. It will play a factor. I just don't know how, how big of a factor it will have given the track record of these two programs. Mm -hmm. That, that's a fair point. I, and, and the turnovers, I mean, you just got to keep that momentum going. And think about this when it comes to turnovers. Oklahoma's offense completely stalled out in the second half of Bedlam, but the defense put them in position where they were they were just a score away from winning that game. And, and why is that? Because of two turnovers. By the way, it was Woody Washington who came up with both picks uh, in the Bedlam game. So uh, that, that's, a, that's a fair point. When, when you look at this defense against the Oregon's offense, uh, the Oregon's offense, Rich, um, tell me what's the player that you're, you're focusing in on? Who, who is that guy 
that uh, that you feel like has to have the big game, the impact player on the defensive side of the ball? And I, I don't know that this one will show up as much in a stat book, um, but I do know that DeLaren Turner-Yell is the guy for me. Why? Okay. Because he is the vocal leader of this defense. And we've already talked about the number, excuse me, <clears throat> we've already talked about the number of position changes that are happening for the linebackers. And we've talked about those who are assuming starting roles along this defensive line where those changes impact the most is in this, this defensive secondary, because if the defensive line can't get to the quarterback, guess what? This secondary is being asked to cover for a much longer period of time. If this defensive line can't bring down a running back like die, Guess who's assuming that responsibility? If he gets past the linebackers, once again, it's these safeties. It's why I think the Laren Turner yell, even though it may not show up on the stat sheet as a tackle leader or a turnover or interception leader, whatever it might be, he's the glue that will hold this defense together. And without him on the field, I think you see a complete and different product than him being on the field. And if we want some evidence for that, we can go back and look at the games that DeLaren Turner yell missed due to injury and how different that defense looked mm-hmm. and how they really regressed, took a couple steps backwards and then reinserting him into that lineup. Yes. I know that it was a group, but none was more pivotal for me than DeLaren Turner yell. Yeah. I was going to go with DTL also because of the, the Travis die factor and, and just kind of keeping up with Oregon out of the backfield. So I'll pick the other safety and I'll go with Pat fields. And, and for all the reasons you pick DTL, I'll pick Pat fields and just say ditto. Is that, is that fair enough? Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> okay. So we're looking at, um, we're looking at uh, bold predictions here for Oklahoma's defense. And honestly, Rich, to me, this was a hard one because I do have a lot of respect for this Oregon offense. I don't, I don't know what their mental state is. Uh, I can tell you, I really, I've said it multiple times. I think Oklahoma is in a good place mentally. I don't know where Oregon is, but coming up with a bold prediction against a pretty powerful Oregon offense is, is difficult for me. And so I'm just going to throw this out here and I'm going to say Oklahoma will have in this game, surprisingly, when you look at what they lost off the front seven, Oklahoma will have at least six plays behind the line of scrimmage, be it tackles for loss or quarterback sacks. I like, I like where you're going with this one. And it's largely because of the athleticism. Um, If I was going that same route, I think six is a safe number to go with Um, a safer number than say double digits. So by comparison, it's a safe number, but I I love the prediction. If I'm looking at a prediction for me, Matt, I'm not, I'm not going to go for a defensive score in this game. Okay, but defensively, can I actually go for special teams on this one? Special teams are part of the defense, man. Okay, because I was going to say there is a blocked field goal attempt for Oklahoma. Blocking Oregon, that is. That's my bold prediction here. So you're saying Oklahoma will block an Oregon field goal attempt? Yeah, and I think it's ultimately what makes the difference in the score. Okay, fair (laughs) enough. Okay, there's a there's a little sneak peek at your at your score prediction. Big 12 gets underway Tuesday, December 28th. ESPN is going to air Mississippi State at Texas Tech in the, uh, what is that? That's the Liberty Bowl. Rich, I got to be honest with you. I don't know that this is going to be a great bowl season for the Big 12. And I I certainly don't think it's going to get off to a great start uh, on Tuesday because you've got the the guaranteed rate bowl with West Virginia and Minnesota, the 
AutoZone Liberty Bowl with Mississippi State and Texas Tech. Um, let's, let's start with the with the Red Raiders. Mississippi State, nine and a half point favorites. The over-under here is 58.5. I don't think Mississippi State beats Texas Tech by 10 points or more. So I, I would take Texas Tech in these points. But I certainly think this is a game that Mississippi State wins. And just for that, just for entertainment purposes only, I think I would take the over in this game. I'm going to agree with you that Mississippi State wins. Texas Tech, what happened midseason is still something that I can't wrap my head around. They fired their coach midseason, correct? I'm not right. mistaken on that yep, one. Yep. Yep. I, I still can't record. wrap my mind around that one as they were one game from bowl eligibility. Needless to say, I think that was the breaking point for Texas Tech. And while they ultimately did reach that bowl eligibility, they still never solidified an identity for me, whether that was offensively or mm-hmm. defensively. Did they have some prizes, some surprises this season? Absolutely, but the bowl season is not time for any surprises. Mississippi State here, the the better team for me. Guaranteed rate bowl, West Virginia, Minnesota. The the uh, Gophers five and uh, there's five points just dropped from five and a half to five. Five point favorites over under here, uh, forty five. Again, I, I think Minnesota. This, I think Minnesota. They're they're really good defensively. Uh, I think they're they're underrated uh, uh, defensively. I don't think they get enough. I don't think they get talked about enough, number one, because they're Minnesota, uh, and number two, because they're in the Big Ten and they're overshadowed by, you know, Michigan and, and Ohio State and Wisconsin and all those other more um, more attractive Big Big Ten schools. But I think this is a pretty solid football team. Uh, West Virginia is a team that kind of found its way late in the season. They, they're going in 6-6, six and six, 500 into the bowl season, but – I think they put up a fight here. I can see this being a field goal game for, for Minnesota, um, ma- making it, you know, I guess that would make West Virginia cover the five-point spread. Um, but I definitely would take the over uh, at 45. I think it's barely over. But I also think Minnesota barely comes out with a win here, field goal or less over the Mountaineers. I don't know that I would take the over in this one. I think this is, for Minnesota, a heavy dose of the rushing attack Mm -hmm. West Virginia without Letty Brown is going to ultimately sway me into Minnesota's line of thought and thinking that they are going to win this game. I don't think either of these teams are spectacular, but I know that West Virginia, at least from my standpoint, kind of snuck into bowl eligibility by one heck of a performance from Daigie against the Texas Longhorns to keep them from reaching bowl eligibility. Needless to say, when you're, Last two wins were against Texas and Kansas. I just don't have a lot of confidence in you. Ergo, I am going for the eight and four Gophers. Okay, so uh, on Wednesday before Oklahoma plays, you've got Iowa State um, against number 19, Clemson. Uh, The Tigers one and a half point favorites in this game. The over under in this game, ridiculously low at uh, at 44. Um, You look at what Clemson lost, you know, Brent Venables is gone. How much uh, is that going to play into what happens on the Tiger defense? Iowa State, um, you know they can they can play some offensive football. They've had some struggles this season, both sides of the ball, seven and five. I think this is going to be a fun game, and I'm actually saying this is where the Big 12 picks up their first win. I think they sneak out a win over the Tigers in the Cheez-It Bowl. Yeah, it is a little bit odd to see Iowa State so far down after 
what they started the season with. We talked about the three-headed monster for so long right. and saying that it was a legitimate challenger, not just in the Big 12, but potentially on the national scene. That that potential still exists in Iowa State. For me, Clemson, I felt like kind of lost their way this year. Yes, they lost Trevor Lawrence. And replacing a quarterback of that caliber is never easy. But you had the number one quarterback stepping in behind him who had playing experience in the previous season. It just didn't shape out how you had hoped it. And I, I don't know um, if this phone call was ever made, but if Matt Campbell didn't call Brent Minimals just to even ask a question and have it turned down, I would be a little bit surprised in terms of asking what's the weak point of this defense. Needless to say, Iowa State is the more talented team on paper. It will be a fun game to watch, and I'm, I'm going to side with you. I'm going to give Iowa State the win here. What about the over-under? 44. What, man, I think it goes over that. I, I agree. I, I think this is a game that easily surpasses that. Yeah, I think that, that – I just think that that number's too low, but you, you never know. New Year's Day, Oklahoma State, Notre Dame, and the Fiesta Bowl. The Cowboys 11-2, and two, the Irish 11-1. and one. Notre Dame one-and-a-half-point favorites. They've lost their head coach. Oklahoma State loses its defensive coordinator. Uh, he's going to move on to Ohio State. How much of a distraction was that? Over-under on this game, 45-and-a-half. Again, I'm, I'm sticking with the over on a lot of these games, but I, I, I just I think Oklahoma State is going to be outmatched in this game particularly on the with the Notre Dame defense against the, the Cowboy offense. I do think it's close, uh, but I, I think and when you're looking at a one-and-a-half-point favorite, you're basically picking a winner here, and I think that's going to be the Irish winning and covering. I'm going to take the opposite side of the field here. Nice. I, think, I think Notre Dame, obviously, the brand, the national recognition – is going to sway some things into their favor. But I'm a I'm a big big advocate and believer in this Oklahoma State defense. What they do well is what will limit the talents that you have for Notre Dame. Um the quarterback Jack Cohn, Williams the the running back. I know that these are two capable players, but I don't think they've truly played a defense that's as good and as experienced and as consistent as Oklahoma State's in is which ultimately leads to their demise for me i'm picking oklahoma state in this one sweet that's the first game we, we've disagreed on uh the sugar bowl baylor number seven against number eight ole miss the bears big 12 champions 11 and 2 ole miss 10 and 2 on the season uh ole miss one point favorite over under is 55 uh give me baylor all day in this game <laughs> and the over i too am taking baylor i think losing your offensive coordinator does a lot when you're heading. Well, I think Levy's coaching though. I, I do think Levy's okay. going back to coaching this game. Okay, I wasn't aware of that. Um, Baylor, the reason I'm picking Baylor, regardless of what happens offensively for Ole Miss, is that I think Baylor brings an old school brand of defense, something yeah. that we're we've likened to the SEC in the past. And when you bring that level of tenacity, I, I'm not saying that Ole Miss can't play that style of football, but it certainly hasn't been their identity this year. It's not the reason that they're number eight it's because they're playing this spread offense and Baylor's been in that realm for much longer and has found success you also have an SEC coach coming over to the big 12 and and finding success and winning mm -hmm. the big 12 in his second season needless to say Matt they've got a lot going for them there's a lot of momentum surrounding Baylor and I think they ride that to a victory here yeah, I think Dave Aranda knows a thing or two about SEC offenses and I, I don't I don't know that he is uh 
is staying up anxious about playing Ole Miss right now in this setting. Uh, here we go. The last bowl game of the of the year for the Big 12 takes place Tuesday, January 4th. Uh, the Texas Bowl, Kansas State against LSU. The Wildcats 7-5 and five on the season. LSU uh, managed to uh, to, to round, wrangle up a 6-6 six and six finish. Kansas State, three-and-a-half-point favorites. Over-under uh, is at 48. Again, I think this, this line is way, way too low at 48. And I think I'll take the Wildcats again all day in this one at three-and-a-half points. Yeah, you look at LSU giving up almost 400 yards of offense. That spells doom for me. It's something that Kansas State can certainly take advantage of. But Kansas State's really been a Jekyll and Hyde story. Once again, we don't know which version of that team we're going to get. <coughs> I do think they've got talent at the quarterback position. We've talked about uh, a running back with Deuce Vaughn. He's the difference maker for this team and the reason I think they get the win. So I'm taking Kansas State in this one as well. All right, well, here we go. It's uh, the big one for us here. Oklahoma against Oregon. The Ducks number 14 in the nation at 10 and 3. The Sooners uh, are number 16 in the nation at 10 and 2. Oklahoma, four and a half point favorite. 60.5 is the over under here in this game. I'm going to tell you right now, I like the under and I like Oregon in the four and a half points. If it was four, uh, I would be, have a push. If it was three, I would take OU. I'm giving the Sooners a 32-28 advantage in this game, which is just under that point spread, but enough to give Oklahoma a win and what I believe will be a tight and entertaining game throughout. You said 32? 32-28. How do you get to 32? There are ways. It, it can happen. <laughs> it's just very – it's a very uncommon It's an odd score. number, but hey, that's, you, that's all right. You and I are in a similar line of thought. I'm taking the over – though, instead of the under. And as I mentioned, I think it comes down to a blocked field goal mm -hmm. attempt here, which sends Oklahoma into the quote-unquote winner's bracket. Can I use that? Sure. Even though this isn't basketball Say or March win, Madness. Win column. Win it gives column. Oklahoma the win. I, I had it at 35-31, though. Okay, we're still pretty close. We're still pretty close. I, I You know, I'll, I'll accept that. If, if they win 35-31, I'll be just as happy. It'll, it'll be an entertaining game. I think points I think it's are gonna going to be a fun game. Board. I think it's going to be a lot yeah, of fun. Yeah, for sure. As okay. long as um, Alan Patrick doesn't pick up the ball and run out of oh, the pile gosh. with it, yeah. we'll be good. I thought we were going to we'll make it good. through. I thought we are going to make it through a complete preview without bringing no, that up. That's not allowed. We, we didn't. All right, that's it for us. This last podcast of the year here with the Sooner Nation podcast. You can find us every day on their internet, heartland-sports.com. Almost 100,000 page views this month on the website, heartland-sports.com. You can find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland. It's not just Oklahoma Sooners coverage. We got the thunder going on as well. Come give us a visit. Come drop a comment. Uh, rate the podcast. Give us a subscription wherever podcasts are found. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a fantastic week. Happy New Year and Boomer Sooners.